passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the post-wrestling site. A-E-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. It is John Pollock and Wei Ting here with you on a Wednesday evening coming out of Dynamite from Chicago. It was very snowy out, but very heated indoors. Apparently, yeah, a big snow day in Chicago. I've read some schools were even closed, so... My goodness. Yeah, wow. Just this... When are, when, when are we going to... Oh, I guess nature's taking care of that, aren't we? Or, I mean, the humans are taking care of this problem. Snow. You know? Well, you can incorporate it into angles. Snow. Yeah. yeah. Toss a baby face into the snow. It adds, I think it adds to uh, the the rivalry when you have thrown a, a jungle boy into the snow. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Or we'll just keep keep using our cars. Let's we'll keep driving SUVs and it'll be somebody else's problem. Okay. Well, that's that's an, that's an alternative. Yes, you are right. I think we're supposed to get snow tomorrow. I think. I believe it's actually started. Yeah, I think a lot of it. It's probably making its way over here oh, from Chicago. Great. I got to go out tomorrow. This could be an issue. Well, uh, good luck. Best of All luck. Right. All right. This is, a, this is a riveting conversation, but we're going to move on uh, to chat about uh, tonight's show. Uh, but we start with uh, everything today surrounding uh, Brian Kendrick, because that was uh, the focus of the day. And led to his removal from tonight's card. So on Tuesday, they had announced that Brian Kendrick was going to be taking on John Moxley on tonight's show. It would have been Kendrick's AEW debut. And during the day, um, a variety of comments uh, surfaced from interviews that Kendrick had done back in 2011 with this outlet called The Truth is Scary. And then a High Spots interview he did in 2013. So I think everyone is probably familiar with Brian Kendrick and his uh, conspiratorial mindset. But um, I'll just say for myself, like I will plead ignorance. I was not aware of the severity of the comments because the ones that are be that were focused upon uh, were just these horrific comments about the Holocaust and the the murders at Sandy Hook Elementary School back in 2012 and. You know, it was, um, you know, I, I wrote about it in, in the update today. And then about an hour before the show, Tony Khan announced that the comments were abhorrent and offensive. And Brian Kendrick was off the show with Wheeler Yuta taking his spot. And Brian Kendrick has since come out. Uh, he actually posted these around 9 p.m. Eastern time stating, 
I apologize for all the hurt and embarrassment I have caused with my words. These are not my beliefs and never were beliefs of mine, and I crossed the line. I spread the most vile comments without thinking of the damage it would cause. I will live with this regret for the rest of my life. I am truly sorry for the pain I have caused. And yeah, this this was one where um, I, won't say I was shocked that he was removed from the show, but uh, you know, the fact that an hour beforehand this statement gets uh, put out, um, you know, it was... I, I don't know how many promoters would make that move so close to a show that they felt this was enough that we are not going to put this guy on our television program that starts. I mean, I don't know when they first were made aware of the comments, but not a whole lot of time before they were going live tonight. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, I did the update with Andrew this afternoon at one o'clock Eastern time before I think any of this at least hit my attention. And it seemed like, you know, we were talking about, wow, what a crazy 24 hours for Ryan Kendrick. You know, he got, got, got he was announced, he, he was released, and then uh, all of a sudden announced for AEW Dynamite. And we were really excited about Brian Kendrick's debut in AEW, taking on John Moxley, probably, you know, being attached to this Brian Danielson storyline. Um, and then everything started to come out throughout the evening, and I started to feel kind of shitty about my anticipation for it all. Um, and you know, as, as, as more information came out, it, it, it kind of became a lot more than just, you know, we've kind of known, like, I think we all might know one of these, like, you know, like people who believe in, in crazy conspiracy theories, but when it, when it came to his views or, you know, uh, previously stated views on uh, Sandy Hook um, and then uh, like the comments just that people were digging up, just seemed to get worse and worse about the Holocaust the, uh, denial and, and everything else, um, it really became quite inexcusable. And uh, it just really caught fire uh, everywhere on the internet, on Twitter, on Reddit, to the point where I was really wondering, like, what the response was going to be when he came out and actually wrestled that match. And I didn't think that AEW would pull him because I, I think it was so close. And I think part of me was wondering, well, like, do they do they consider this big enough, you know, to 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 do something about it? And clearly, by the time it got to to seven o'clock or or whenever throughout the day, as I'm sure they're discussing this internally, they felt it was big enough, and they felt that this was not worth the PR risk. And I have to assume there are plenty of people in the back um, that are very proud Jewish people that probably had something to say about this as well. And for a guy who's not contracted to the company, who you're essentially doing a big favor for, giving him a, a big match on your national TV show, um, I I absolutely felt it was the right decision to make. Yeah, I mean, I, I applaud them for making the decision. I I don't have a, a whole lot of time for for stuff like this. Um, to me, it's you know there there is a, a you know the genre of like conspiracy theories i mean there's an element of it where it's largely just you know ridiculous stuff that is meant for like entertainment purposes and i think in this age of so much misinformation that that is a lot more dangerous territory now this kind of stuff like this is this is never this this is this is not a censorship issue this is not a free speech issue this is just someone putting out some really really shitty comments and being held accountable. That's what he was. He was held accountable today for these comments that have just skirted under under the rug for this many years because I don't think these were very high-profile interviews or that people would be sitting down in great numbers to watch something called the Kendrick Theory 
on high spots as he talks for however long it is. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I felt, I was really curious to know if Brian Kendrick himself would, would send out a message before dynamite, before all of this stuff, you know, before he was uh, reprimanded for it by, by AEW. Um, the fact that he didn't, I, I, I thought, I thought spoke a lot. Um, like when you don't at least answer the criticism, you're leaving much of the audience to wonder if you're still this person. And we have to remind ourselves, okay, people can change. Yes. Um, you know, these comments were made over and one, one of them was made over a decade ago. Another was made in 2013. Um, but we have no idea as, as an audience, what he currently thinks of today. It wasn't until after the show already aired, after he had been taken off of the show where he denounced his comments in the past. And, you know, if you're him, you're probably recognizing, okay, do I blow this up right now? Like, you know, do I, do I possibly get more attention to it by tweeting it out? And I, I, I would say clearly the answer was, yeah, like you, you apologize for it. And, instead of i think you know hoping that people don't find it um and 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 having it be be skirted un, under the rug so um you know he he seems remorseful in the comments but man like the apology honestly is not for me to accept um it it's for the people you know that that he he has hurt to to accept so um you know what do you think it means for for his future um it's it's a question of you know if if people deem him to be um truly remorseful um maybe there will be opportunities like i i'm not somebody that believes that you know you say something really really stupid and it's held against you forever i do believe in uh forgiveness for pe- for people where it is warranted at the same time like there is there is penance i think that are going to be paid i don't know if i'm going out of my way to reach out to a, to a Brian Kendrick right now after this. He had 10 years that if you put something out into the world like that, um, you know, he, he, felt, he felt no need to correct the record all this time. So there, mm-hmm. there may be a period that people do not want to use him for, for that very reason. Um, again, I'm not saying it should be never use this guy again, never book him again, but it's for the time being, like, I don't know, I, I would not be bending over backwards right now to book a Brian Kendrick. If, if I have other options, mm-hmm. but we'll see what happens. I'm glad he put this out. I'm glad he at least acknowledged it tonight and, and put that out there. So people know what, what he is thinking, but um, I'm, I, I was too surprised that he ended up getting pulled just because it was so close to uh, showtime. And let's be honest way. We have seen a lot of examples where it's like the, like the strategy is you just, it's it's a peak of people being angry and criticizing you and then you just go through it and you just power through and the criticism lessens and lessens. This was not a case where they were just going to, you know, want their fans to hold their nose and, and go through with this. It was we do not want to put this on our television. So I applaud them making that that decision. It was, you know, on, on a show day, it would have been very easy to just bury your head in the sand and ignore this. I want to read a comment in the uh, Zoom chat right now because uh, this is from MJ who has given me permission to read this. MJ says, as a descendant of survivors, I do not wish to see Kendrick out of wrestling forever as long as he is publicly 
As long as he publicly makes a statement, him losing out on this opportunity was accountability, and I appreciate TK for doing it. Okay, so uh, so that so that's one perspective, and uh, you know, like I I think I think this becomes a conversation. It already has been a conversation, but this this now becomes a, a bigger conversation. Include you know which which I'd love to hear more from from you know uh, uh, people that that are, are directly affected um, by by Brian Brian Kendrick's past past comments. So. Uh, I'm sure there'll be more about this in the days to come. Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, it's just, just horrible things to, it, when you put yourself in the mindset of somebody that is actually affected by this, it's just, it's, it's terrible. But nonetheless, that was uh that was the major story going into uh, tonight's show. Uh, they never brought this up on the broadcast, it, but we were starting off with John Moxley and Brian Kendrick's replacement, Wheeler Yuta. Who was out do you with- do you have any issue with AEW not mentioning this on the broadcast itself? And and let me preface that by saying, okay, so they did not announce Kendrick last week. This all seemed to come together very last minute. So if you're strictly watching TNT or, or, or uh, TBS and and not following all the stuff online, you wouldn't have been aware of it whatsoever. But, uh, so uh, in that sense, I can understand why they didn't bring it up. But it's very much like the whole, um, you know, when when somebody, uh, what is it, uh, Rapongi fight Vice? That match was cut because of Rocky Romero's COVID. They just suddenly changed the match with no mention of Rocky's COVID, even though Rocky Romero himself gave us the reason on Twitter. Do you feel like there should be a level of transparency from Dynamite and AEW in this instance? I I didn't look at this story of AEW needing to be accountable for this. I think, like, I, I don't know however many people were even aware of these comments before today. So I don't really hold this. Well, on not, 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 for, not, uh, yeah, I don't hold this against Tony Khan for, or AEW for booking. Cause yeah, very few of us, and a lot of us didn't know, but the fact that they did announce it at least online and then change the match last minute, should any of that have been brought up? I just don't know how you, in that brief time when Wheeler Yuta's walking to the ring that you expect your announcers to have a conversation about what kind of comments were made. Like you have to go into some detail then if you're, if you're bringing up such a subject like that, I don't know if your, your television broadcast is necessarily the place for that. Mm. Cause it is a big like, story. Look at the discussion we've just had way. And we've spent 10 minutes on it. I mean, we're asking, but that doesn't necessarily this. excuse them not getting to it. And again, I don't know what the right answer is, you know, but, but it, it, because it's such a big story because we are spending 10 minutes on it, for it to have zero representation on on the actual broadcast, I I, I just wonder if 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 there's there's a uh, you know I mean you a, got like a public a right statement decision. out of them like I mean it's not like Tony Khan just said Brian Kendrick's off public and statement didn't give on reasoning. Twitter. That's a public statement, way like I mean you could you could go on. I just I don't I don't want them to just say well Brian Kendrick is off for some insensitive comments and that's all we say about it. It's mm-hmm. like you either go into it and I think you have to have like an actual discussion about what these comments were. We as a company, like if if they had chosen to, fine. But I I was not looking at uh, like the company running away from this story. If they if they had just gone ahead with Brian Kendrick and made no acknowledgement and just ignored this story today, that would have been running from the story. I think they did the opposite of that tonight. I don't think there are too many companies that in this situation would have pulled someone from a featured match um, because of something online. Hmm. So. Moxley and Utah, um, we had Orange Cassidy and Danhausen in the corners, and this was a rematch from October. This was the match where Moxley beat Utah in 47 seconds last October, so they went much longer this time with uh, Wheeler Utah putting up much more of a fight. 
Uh, Moxley uh, executed a pile driver. He raked the back of the uh, of his back with his nails. That's a we're going back several decades for the uh, the back rake spot here. Uh, it's a it's a common spot of uh, people like um, El Phantasmo. Uh, that's right. Yes, I guess he is uh, uh, bringing an, uh, an ode to the spot. Uh, Yuta would uh, fire back with a, a drop kick, climbs, and Moxie rolls out. They're fighting on the edge, and Danhausen distracts, allowing Yuta to hit a dive onto Moxley. In the ring, Moxley catches him with a cutter, which it's a brand new week, brand new week of cutters. This is starting things it, off, I guess. It's got to be its own category at the end of the year, you know, best cutter, best cutter? of, of okay. the year. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the paradigm shift gets countered, angle slammed by Utah, and then a splash off the top for two. Wheelbarrow into a choke, and Moxley drops these elbows into the paradigm shift. And seven minutes, 29 seconds, Moxley gets the win. I thought it was a good match. You know, Moxley's intensity continues to shine uh, upon his return here. I thought Wheeler Utah looked really good. Yes, he was doing the job again, but uh, this time he got a whole lot more offense and time than usual. Uh, you know, in the main event scene, I suppose Yuta really is just sort of an undercard jobber. But perhaps they're going to use this series of losses to Moxley to do some sort of long, long-term build like the, they have with Sammy Guevara and Cody Rhodes. Uh, after Danielson appears in the ring and asks the crowd if they want to see them fight and everyone's chanting yes. He says he wanted to see them fight for a long time, too, because Moxley was different and wanted to see what he had and test himself. But this is a new John Moxley. He says that he was watching when Moxley was AEW champion and that Moxley was the best AEW champion. So what a dig at the other champions, including Hangman. And potentially building new feuds. Yes. He says that if you had some support, you could still be champion. And he has realized that the two of them should not be fighting. We should be fighting together. The crowd got into this. He said there is no reason why some millennial cowboy should be champion. There's no reason why someone dressed as a dinosaur should be a champion. And there's no reason why someone whose biggest contribution to society is creating a vlog that that person should be a champion. We can run this place, have any belts we want, and maybe we take a Wheeler Yuta or a Daniel Garcia or a Lee Moriarty under our wing. We will train the future of pro wrestling together. Think of the greatness we can create and the legacy that you want to leave behind. And he leaves Moxley to think about this offer. I love this. I thought Brian was fantastic. You know, this was a little bit surprising for me because in all of Brian's big AEW feud so far, he hasn't necessarily done much um, talking to build up his feuds. You know, he usually just comes out and challenges guys to a fight and then kind of tends to do his storytelling inside the ring. Here, he kind of starts off exactly how we were expecting him to. He just comes out, simply asks the crowd, do you want to see us fight? And the answer, of course, from the crowd was yes. And I thought that's, that was it, end of the build. You know, we're going to get Moxley versus Brian next week or, you know, at some, uh, some show. But then he swerves us and he suggests to team up instead. And I think it, it, it led to a, a long speech from Brian to try to get Moxley to team up with him and further prolongs this story before inevitably we are going to get the match. But now they're kind of serving us and taking us, us into a different direction. Uh, and I thought Brian was fantastic here. He had a lot to tell by himself. 
Uh, but and he came across like Palpatine talking to Anakin, trying to get Mox to turn to the dark side here. Um, his logic was really sound. I love how the specific intent was made to bring up the other members of the roster, you know, dissing and starting potential feuds with guys like Paige, Jurassic Express, and Sammy Guevara. But most importantly, like putting over talents like Wheeler Yuta, Lee Moriarty, and Daniel Garcia. Those three names coming specifically out of the level of star power that was in the ring between Mox and Brian, I think does a whole lot to get to get positive attention on those guys, especially people like Moriarty and Yuta who who don't necessarily have like the highest rankings, you know, in the in AEW so far. So again, we're undoubtedly getting Mox versus Brian, but we're getting get a deeper story before we get to the match itself. We're going to take our time to get there, and I think the payoff will be that much better. Yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting ways to go here. I I don't imagine that Moxley takes him up on this offer, but I can totally see Danielson kind of putting his little crew together. And maybe Mox, you either have Moxley as like this lone wolf or potentially like Moxley gets some some guys that are more in his mold than are in Danielson's mold as the the three were that that he named. But I really like this, especially if they end up going with this with Danielson with like his little like uh soldiers that he recruits yeah or he could he could he could pair up with jurassic express and uh and and do the my my dungeons and dragons gimmick i i proposed in that survivor series game all the all this time later yeah that that is an all that is also a possibility on the table but i i think that like this gives them the kind of uh the the runway to extend this and probably get to danielson and moxley at the pay-per-view i would say Perhaps, yeah. I mean, we'll we'll see whether or not they actually go ahead with this sort of faction idea, and that sounds wonderful. Like any anything with with those names that Brian suggested going up against perhaps you know a Jurassic Express or something. It sounds great. We don't know if they're actually going to go that route or if this is simply words, you know, to to just to to just directly lead to Brian versus Mox match. Um, but either way, I, I I'm interested in the story. Well, we followed that with another in ring talking segment brandy rhodes is here in chicago and she loves being here everyone is so nice here in cleveland boo that's not where we're from we're from chicago you don't even know where you are and they are so upset at brandy and then she gets interrupted was was this the first clear heel direction we've had out of brandy since her return oh god i i don't know she's she's been a heel in different uh, capacities. What was she, uh, since she's, she's come back from pregnancy. Oh, from back, back from pregnancy. Um, well, she's had the segments with Dan Lambert before, but not and where she was, yeah, she was much more this. a baby face the last time. This was just too, they were just trying to out heal one another. So Lambert comes out with the men of the year and says that she is, it's bad for business. When you start believing your own bullshit, Brandy doesn't need a reality show. She needs a reality check. And says, you can't pretend that Cody actually earned his spot or that the chief branding officer is a real title here in AEW. You pretend to be Brandy from the block when you get mad. And that's as fake as those fake bulldogs coming out of your shirt. And Lambert says that, what does it say when you're getting booed against me? A rich, angry, conservative, sexist, AEW hating egomaniac. The crowd cheers us. Like, yeah, these are the characteristics we're cheering. 
He says, I'm almost a decent human being next to you, Brandy. So Brandy responds by addressing Ethan Page and saying, the only reason we hired you was to get to Josh Alexander. It's like mm-hmm. that, that's, that's some terrible like strategy. You signed this guy for like a year. You're no further ahead. Josh Alexander hasn't been on this, this show once. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to just wait out his deal? What, why did, what's Ethan Page representing? Like the He's bridge got to this guy? Number. He's got a phone <laughs> number? I think Josh Alexander will take a call. It's terrible strategy, but I mean, really, it was just more of a, a dig, right? Yeah. Well, joke's on her. You paid me a year so far. I'm doing great. <laughs> then says that she, she's been doing her homework on ATT. They're a five-time gym of the year, and you're doing great, Dan. The crowd starts chanting, shut the fuck up at Brandy, and she just eggs them on. Are you done yet? And then brings up that your best fighter just got knocked out by Jake Paul. And that's when I was waiting for Lambert to say, actually, uh, Tyron Woodley was at the, uh, the St. Louis satellite group of ATT and really has nothing to do with our uh, Coconut Creek main facility, but he did not say that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, Brandy then brings up Amanda Nunez, but says, oh, that's too soon. I think this one flew over probably half the audience's head that are not following MMA in any serious regard, but says that Dan should maybe focus more on American top tits. American top tits. Yeah, that was pretty weak. Like what? What, what, what is the logic there? I mean, I think Brandy usually has some pretty good lines, but what is the logic in American top tits? Like, how is that insulting? Yeah, like it, it was she like what, trying what, to make it seem like it's just all women at American Top Team? Like, I don't know. And how well? How would that be an insult? And secondly, like <laughs> what? Like, what? How did she arrive at that word in in place of team? Maybe she just meant it uh, in an overall term, like tit as just an insult and not gender specific. It's a weird. It was a re- weird really selection. Trying. Weird choice. I'm really trying. Yeah, I think everyone knows what I thought of this segment. Dan asks that maybe it's time for your whole family to turn heel. The only face turn that people will buy is the one from your old job, which was being turned face down. So Brandy slaps him. Lambert thought that she was going to be willing to fight, and he has more things to do before he goes down in a blaze of glory getting canceled. And he brings out the returning Paige Van Zant, who goes after Brandy. The audience doesn't know who to back here. And then the locker room empties to separate the two women. So we are going in the direction of Brandy and Paige, unless the idea that had been thrown out, I think by one of our listeners, maybe even you way about doing the, uh, the mixed tag idea where it could be Paige and Austin Vanderford against Cody and Brandy down the road. Yeah, that would make sense. Hey, first of all, before we even move there, do you know the status of Josh Alexander and impact? Cause I, I believe the contract is up in February. Like, I don't know off month. the top of my head. I'd, I'd have to look it up. I don't know. So, I mean, do you, do, is there anything to, to this comment? Um, more than just usually when you, page. when you hear a name like that, you would think like there's, there's a purpose for, for doing it. I also don't think like if they had an idea for Josh Alexander that I think impact would be willing to do something, but, um, I, I don't, I don't know his deal status. They do have the relationship as well. So even if he does like stay with impact, like, you know, he could potentially come into for something, but it's, I, it's, I, ho- I hope the line was for a purpose beyond just like some zinger that, Oh, the guy we really want is with with impact. It was I don't know. I took it as a throwaway line, but you know, huh. if it has a purpose, then great. Then there was a need, an, an, a reason for it. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, this segment, I mean, uh, definitely mixed reaction, if not um, more more negative, I would say. Wait, wait, did, did you see positivity to this? Like, I wasn't scanning Twitter for this. I wasn't scanning what? it so much either, but I mean, I... I think mixed it was, reaction. I don't know if it was all that mixed. Well, I mean, I, I thought it was a positive reaction for Dan Lambert coming out. You know, he felt like the biggest baby face in, in the city coming up against Brandy Rhodes. Is that what um, you want? I'm not sure. Like, how would how what was the purpose of designing the segment? I mean, yes, Brandy does. No way. I Brandy thought he was taking two like heels and just trying to like who would be the bigger heel, and it turned out it was Brandy. So Dan Lambert is working a feud against Cody Rhodes, but that's Cody Rhodes, who is in a weird gray area where I think he's supposed to be a babyface, but not necessarily heel or heel, but not necessarily babyface. So depending on the week, depending on the hour. Brandy though clearly was being a heel throughout the entire segment. So I don't know. Like again, like the the kind of blurred lines are are are, are come you know spreading towards Brandy now. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the intent was, but I think there's only one clear direction here, and that it's it's that these roads roadses are not going to be effective baby faces. Um, and you can't expect a positive reaction. I think in in most towns, certainly not a town like Chicago. Yeah, I just I don't know. I'm. I'm not into this where it's it's just it just seems like we are going to just like throw stuff and man we're just thinking at such a deep level at what at what kind of pro wrestling we're we're presenting. Um I will say this, it's not like this crowd like dumped on this. Like it was a heated segment. It was so a hot crowd. Wanted, it was a hot it, this was a fantastic crowd all night long and this segment was not an exception. So it's not like the crowd was uh bored by this by by any stretch. I just question like the um the positioning of like these two sides of Dan Lambert and Brandy. And if the audience is really clamoring for Paige Van Zant and Brandy Rhodes, I guess, I guess we'll see. Also, Austin Vanderford is actually fighting in a, in a couple of weeks. So, I mean, he's deep into training right now for his fight with Gegard Mousasi. But after that, um, I mean, I, I think you, you would take away from this, like the potential, like maybe you do the women's match and further down the road, you could do like the mixed tag idea. Okay. So, so let's, let's take, for instance, they go Paige Van Sant versus Brandy Rhodes or Paige Van Sant. And let's say, okay, Ethan Page versus Brandy Rhodes and Cody. Who's the car going to cheer for in that instance? I think it's going to be American top team. Yeah. I Or neither, or, or just, you know, like a bit more of a tepid kind of, I mean, if it's Dan Lambert, I think Dan Lambert is, is like, is a very easy baby face to turn because he, He's the entertaining type of heel that you appreciate, even though, you know, you're supposed to boo him. He he entertains you. Um, I don't know if the audience will have that same appreciation for Paige Van Zandt, but they, I think they also hate these Rhodeses. It's a, it also could be a very tough match if you were to do Paige Van Zandt versus Brandy Rhodes. The singles match? Yeah, that'd be that'd be hard. And that could be a case where the crowd just turns on the match if it were to fall apart. Yeah, we'll see. So this is a... I don't think program. I don't think they would book that singles match. Like I think it would be a mixed tag or or something. Well, if you're doing the mixed tag, I mean, um, you know, for, for for the betterment of the match, then you could argue Ethan Page makes more sense to be in that match than Austin Vanderford. You so definitely you at least need have somebody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, after that segment, we go to the Hardy family office in their uh, no, 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 the Andrade Hardy family office. Sorry, everyone. The Andrade Hardy family office in their uh, their in their official stairwell. 
Matt is disappointed in private party losing on Rampage. So now Sammy Guevara has an open challenge for the TNT title, and he has nominated Isaiah Cassidy to go win the TNT title on Friday. Andrade walks in and asks why private party lost. And Matt wants to know why isn't Darby Allen with us yet? And he explained that money talks. So we've got a lot of failure mixed uh, throughout this faction. They can't get anything done. They can't sign Darby. They can't win titles. And that will probably continue on Friday. Yeah, it, it kind of remains to be seen why exactly they paired Andrade with the Hardy family office. I mean, Andrade's still off doing his own thing with, you know, uh, staying in the little kid, trying to buy the little kid. And really has nothing at all to do with, you know, private parties or, or, or Matt Hardy. Like Matt Hardy's still operating uh, the HFO as if it was still the HFO. So I'm assuming it's just a way to get, like, you know, have Andrade get some people to run in for him without having to pay. So for Matt, Matt is now the minority owner, but he has more seats on the board, correct? I think so. Yeah, sure. So look at that. We might have a showdown. I suppose so. Yeah, whatever it means. I will say, though, um, I was wondering if if the HFO would drag Andrade down. That wasn't the case here. I actually felt like Andrade helped improve the segment. You know, that man is so entertaining that like him just kind of coming in doing his whole thing. Like, I don't know what Darby's Darby's issue is. Maybe he needs more money. Maybe I need to talk to dad like that. That already made this more entertaining. Well, um, I can't say I thought about this for a second after this segment ended. Malachi Black and Brody King against Pac and Penta L zero M. Pack starts the match and he's got the blindfold on and he stands in front of Malachi Black and they start the match with him doing spots with the blindfold on. And I thought this was the coolest thing. I thought it looked really cool upon entrance, like him being let out by Abrahantes. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it looked cool, but I was ultimately a bit let down because I it, it felt like he was going to do the whole match blindfolded. Like it felt like, and I don't know how he was going to do it, but that's the, that's what he kind of led us to, to believe. And then he just took the blindfold off. Well, I mean, he's already revealed that he could see. So, so I mean, why do it all to begin with? Maybe, maybe it would have been a little more impactful if where, uh, if they had actually, this was the reveal that he could now see. Although I would have built it up to something a lot bigger than just a, a tag match in the middle of a dynamite episode. Right. But it's mind games way. That explains it. Um, dude, this crowd, uh, they love Penta. Yeah. Love Penta. Mm-hmm. This was one of the strongest reactions he's had in a long time. Um, he got the tag from Pac after the break, and they just go nuts. He's taking on both men. Uh, some great striking involving Black and Pac. Uh, sliding knees from Black. Man, these rhyming names, they're tough. Pac hits a release German, followed by a brain buster. Penta with a step-up dive to the floor, taking out Brody King. And then they're double-teaming Black, Pack gets shoved off the top by King as Black stops the fear factor, blows mist into the face of Penta, and sends him up into Dante's Inferno. And Penta takes the fall from Brody King at 10 minutes and 23 seconds. But is Penta now blind? Yes. He's got <laughs> him and Julia Hart and Pack. They've all come down with this, this black mist of doom. Is it? Yeah. Well, is the blindness permanent? Well, not for Pac, but Julia Hart, at least in one eye, yes. Oh, I guess it depends how how deep you get it into yes. the cornea. Yeah, it's that um, dispersal of the mist. Well, he's got a, like, you know, uh, Penta has a mask on, so you know, maybe hopefully most of it got, got in, <laughs> it was on the mask. Uh, good match. 
definitely good match um i i wondered like you know i thought this this there's a possibility this would even be um in one of the main event slots if they had started the the show off with uh, mjf and punk but uh yeah really good i thought as a way to start the feud and introduce pack it was very good um but i do have some concern about like i think who they're actually focusing on in this story because of the four men here they gave penta the least story the least tv time he took the pinfall here. He took the mist. Yet he was by far the most over guy in the entire match. And and you know it could be a Chicago specific thing, but I'm I'm thinking it's more likely not. And and I think what they're doing with Pack is really good, but he doesn't really feel like he's included Penta yet in the story. You know, it just kind of feels like he's here by association. All the storytelling has been Pack and Malachi Black. So um, I would love to see Penta just be a bit more involved in the storytelling itself. Well, hindsight is twenty twenty, but his vision isn't after this match. So now he has a connection based on his blindness. All right. Okay. Adam Cole uh, booked Brandon Cutler for an on-cam. He announces into the camera that is being shot by Brandon Cutler for us to view on TBS. That he it's, is still... It's so unnecessary. For like every every time we we have Adam Cole, I, I've never minded it as much as you do. But now that you've made such a thing about it, it it's much more noticeable to me now that it happens quite a bit. Brandon, but, turn it on. Brandon, roll. I mean, Brandon, it's just Brandon. It's their thing. It's their thing. They're not going to just randomly have. Uh, I mean, they they're going to why explain. Call, why now. call attention to it? You because know, like, now I'm not if even they don't, about it. now if they don't, it's it's like it's a slip up. It's a mistake. Trust me, I don't. I don't think anyone would complain. I I think they overthink it. Definitely, you're definitely underestimating wrestling fans and their attention to detail. Oh, who's shooting? Who's shooting the camera? Who shot that? <laughs> you honestly, so he, like, you honestly think that that people would say, yeah, okay, whatever. I. Yeah. This is the kind of thing where it's like if we just throw to the back and Adam Cole is looking right into a camera. Yeah. No one is questioning this. Of course not. I think what Tony Khan's bigger thing is, is when, you know, there's some despicable the act happening and yeah. there's no explanation for why a camera is shooting this and there's like a crime being committed. Agreed. And then I think he, I think that's kind of the middle ground you could meet where it's not insulting you. Whereas the guy, lo- the guy is looking into the camera. We are not, we are acknowledging the viewer at home with this camera. Yes. And that is what the camera is there for. Well, I mean, any, anytime we cut to a video package and it's a wrestler cutting a promo directly to the camera as they're crossing it over with B-roll or whatever, nobody questions who shot that. And this was exactly the same thing. It was simply Adam Cole talking to the audience at home. I don't think you have to preface every single one with, Brandon, make sure you're rolling. Brandon, like, you know, what? like just it, too much. So he says that his he is still undefeated, and his record reflects that. Cassidy did not beat him last week. It was a fluke, and my record says so. And I'm one of the best in the world. You're going to see a new Adam Cole, and I'm going to hurt Evil Uno on Friday and then tell the world what I want. So a brand new Adam Cole is coming. I wonder if they're going to like uh, cut his hair, and now he'll be a manager. Oh, interesting. Hmm. No, no, that'd be a terrible idea. For who? New, new Adam Cole coming. For Keith, was it for Keith Lee that, that they were rumoring? What was that? That was, yeah, I think the name that was thrown it, out there. And who just became a free agent. Yeah, Keith Lee is free now. Bring back the Bearcat. He could be the Bearcat handler. Jesus. Um, yeah, so Cole and Evil Uno on Friday, which is happening as we speak. 
Nyla Rose versus Ruby Soho, a rematch from the TBS title tournament. Lars Fredrickson was there in the front row for Ruby Soho. And again, the crowd, they were very much behind Ruby, chanting for her. Uh, They went through a break. They fought on the edge. And Ruby lifted up Nyla and just dumped her onto the apron. And Soho came down to the floor, and she's holding her lower back and then pays attention to Vicky Guerrero, allowing Nyla to take her with a spine buster on the floor. Beast Bomb in the ring gets countered with no future, and Vicky grabs Rose's foot to try and put it under the rope to break up the cover, and the referee catches her. Ruby then takes hold of Vicky, but Rose makes the save, pulls her into the ring, neck breaker. Uh, On the corner, Ruby goes for a top rope Frankensteiner. It's blocked. Then she avoids the Beast Bomb, and she goes again for uh, for the jumping no future kick, but totally misses and just lands on the mat allowing Rose to hit a senton off the top and follows with the beast bomb to pin Ruby in 10 minutes and 48 seconds. I I like the booking, you know, like it seems like they're moving Soho down and putting Nyla Rose back into title contention, perhaps putting her in a position to um, take on any number of the baby faces that I think could use her as an opponent right now. She's been really good lately, and I think if given the ball again, she'd do even better this time with the championship. Um, but I thought overall the pace of the match was a little slow for this type of crowd and this type of show. You know, it was the type of pace for the most part that I, I mean, you would get during the commercial breaks. And um, I, I felt like it was, it kind of, you know, slowed the momentum of the show down a bit. Yeah. I mean, the crowd kept this one to me like, like heated the match. It, it was all right. Um, and I guess with Nyla. Yeah. I mean, in this, it, it's the beginning of the year. So, I mean, you get a win. You're pretty much a number one contender at the moment. Well, look at Lance Archer. So how did how did that guy get a title shot? You know, uh, private party, uh, lots of them. So mm-hmm. you know, you rack up a win, you're in good standing. Uh, the uh, the the Gun Club are with Jungle Boy in the back, and they just make fun of him and beat the hell out of him, and then throw him outside into the cold water on the floor before sending him into the snowbank. And then Cage and Luchasaurus show up way too late. Where were these guys? Jungle Boy just sent out into the snow. Um, I mean, I guess it's gonna catch a cold. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. You might, or you might slip. You know, uh, ice. The Gun Club, by the way, like not not dressed at all for winter. They just like take off and like run down the street. It's like this is not a good plan on your part. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Um. Uh, dress warm. Moral the of the world. story. Yeah, that's it. Punk and MJF are preparing in the back, and then Tony Schiavone brings out Hangman Page, who notes it's been 81 days since he won the title and has defended it twice. And I don't give a shit if Lance Archer wants a Texas death match next week. I don't want to wait till next week. I want to have it tonight. He's just going off and on all these things, including like the weather outside. He thinks his flight's going to get canceled tomorrow. Not an optimist. This. Hangman Page. So Dan Lambert is back for Act Two tonight, and he's joined by Jake Roberts. And Lambert says about Hangman should have stayed back in Cleveland where they were last week because they're soft and canceled the Indians. All right. And then Jake takes over and God bless. I I don't it, know what he said. Okay, so so Lambert finished talking. Page was about to retort. And, yeah, and then he saw Jake was starting and he just stopped so Jake could speak. So don't know what happened here. Like, it didn't seem like the type of thing that was meant to create an organic situation because 
even what Jake said afterwards felt completely pointless. So I've no anyway. What did he say? I dude, I could not make out what Jake was saying. Oh there was God, something about I don't even fear. Know. Yeah, he's like, you know what I smell? I, I smell fear. So, so like he he doesn't really get too many words in before Archer just cuts him off. Yeah. So I mean, I I don't know what the it just didn't feel as smooth as maybe um they 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 were intending and and I do continue to wonder what exactly Jake Roberts' role is, especially now that there's Dan Lambert who you know arguably is a more effective mouthpiece for for Lance Archer. Yeah, I mean Jake. If you're going to use him for 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 speaking, it should probably be in like a backstage setting uh, with yeah. Brandon. Yes. So Archer just storms in, attacks Archer, and choke slams him onto the steps. This is after a chair is used by Dan Lambert, and Paige catches Lambert, but then Archer comes back, nails him with the chair, and then hits him with the choke slam on the steps and finishes him with a blackout through the table as Lambert is counting uh, to set up the, the Texas death match for next mm-hmm. week. So lays out the champion. This is not a big match for next week. This is hardly at the level we had with, with Paige and Danielson on TV. Certainly not. But it's it's a title defense for Paige, and hopefully it's a good match next week. But I can't say it's uh, people are counting down the, the hours till this match takes place next week. No, I mean, it's an interesting choice, an opponent. I mean, for for one thing, I understand why they did it, okay? They can't all be Brian Danielson. They can't all be Kenny Omega as opponents. You're going to have a TV to have, program. It's, you're going to need yeah. TV programs. Lance Archer is a big guy uh, who can, you know, um, showcase Hangman Page in, in a good underdog babyface light. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm a little disappointed that we didn't maybe try to get more personal material in the, in the little build that we had here. There wasn't much time to tell it, but the story, whatever they've been trying to use, um, hasn't necessarily been all that compelling in the past two weeks. And, you know, whatever happened here between Jake, um, just kind of confused things even a little bit more. We go into the back and Chris Jericho. How did this make it there? Who knows? Who was shooting this? I don't know. What What are we do? Just got cameras running around everywhere now? What kind of unrealistic own... setting is this? this I can't suspend real. my disbelief to think a guy would talk to a camera, have it broadcast on TV like this. How do you get the tape into the do truck? You, do you buy commercial time? Yeah. Chris Jericho addresses Santana and Ortiz and calls it disrespectful what they did last week, not tagging him in on Rampage. Says how, if this is all about Eddie Kingston and how they got into the industry with him, well, we got into AEW together and says that I'm a bigger influence than Kingston. I'm a bigger influencer than Kylie Jenner on Instagram. So next week on Dynamite, I'm calling a full inner circle team meeting. And you all better show up because attendance is mandatory. Mm, Okay. The team meeting. Team meeting, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this story hasn't really. Um, um, I, I, I haven't been crazy about it, you know. Considering the amount of talent that's involved between Chris Jericho and Proud and Powerful and Eddie Kingston, I don't know if the promos have, have been all that great, or nor has, in my opinion, the story been laid out all that effectively. But you know, well, it's that- also been hampered by Kingston getting hurt. So I think they're kind of just holding up certain things while while Kingston recovers at the moment. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. So hopefully next week they, I mean, and, you know, you put the, that amount of talent in the ring in a speaking capacity. I hope I have high expectations. It's been a while that they've had the whole group together for a segment together. Mm. And and I would assume Eddie Kingston, right? Don't you think? It would make sense that he crashes the, the meeting next week. Um. So yeah, I, I would think like that's 
and where Santana and Ortiz go. If they're going to like kind of depart the inner circle and where, where things go with that. So Rampage on Friday will feature Adam Cole and Evil Uno, Thunder Rosa against Mercedes Martinez, and then we have the FTW title match between Ricky Starks and Jay Lethal, and the TNT title match between Sammy Guevara and Isaiah Cassidy. Mm-hmm. And Dynamite next week, all they've announced, uh, it's the Texas Death Match and the Inner Circle team meeting. So more match announcements to come for that. And then it's about 9.15 Eastern, and MJF walks out. So uh, the rest of the show was dedicated to MJF and CM Punk. Were you surprised? Uh, number one, you were thinking, like, maybe they wouldn't end the show with it. But uh, given that they did, are you surprised that they dedicated so much time to this? Am I surprised? Um, I think, no. Were, were not- you expecting, like, a long match between them? Yes, I was. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean... You know, we've seen AEW tend to lately, you know, put all their main events off the very top, especially when it comes to these big matches with the possibility of time running out. You know, this was a dynamite where they had only announced four matches and we saw all of them um, by 9.15 p.m. here. So definitely suggested that this was going to go the distance, you know, uh, with 30 minutes and plenty of time left over or... um that it was going to be uh, some sort of draw. Like it almost kind of guaranteed that and it didn't. So um, they still left plenty of surprise. I thought, I thought it was really interesting that they did this and I got especially excited in the middle of the match. <laughs> so the match begins and uh, you know, it, it's punk pretty much for the first five minutes of this match, just destroying this guy. And it, gets stopped when MJF is sent into the corner and Punk misses and he runs his shoulder into the post and his left shoulder, he would sell this for the rest of the match and MJF was terrific working over this arm. Mm-hmm. It all like tied together with all of his different submissions, his attacks on the arm and sets up salt of the earth as well. So mm-hmm. that was a really, really strong part um, in the early going here to, to set that up. Uh, Punk would uh, eventually come back. They they brawled through the crowd actually early on as MJF was trying to evade. There was a Pepsi twist from Punk and this crowd way. It just grew and grew and grew. It was amazing to hear this crowd and how sustained they were for the, these final 45 minutes of the show. Oh, completely. I mean, this is CM Punk in Chicago wrestling against, I would say, the the highest caliber opponent he's had in one of the best builds that he's had in years. I mean, of course, in years. But even even considering his WWE run, I, I mean, I would certainly put this up a, up against you know the the Cena feud and anything else. So um, it, it, the recipe was there for for one of the hottest crowds you've probably heard on Dynamite. Yeah. So <laughs> we have uh, Punk is uh, he gets this is after the Pepsi twist and MJ. By, by, by the way, did you catch? Um, uh, before that, uh, Bilal Muhammad getting the opportunity to chop MJF ringside. They were on the floor and Punk held up MJF and Bilal Muhammad just gave like the most unconventional chop and just swatted this guy. Just yeah. nailed him. Yeah. And MJF sold it huge as he like rolled back into the ring. That was that was a fun spot. A, a Rufus for, sport fighter. Yes. So behind the referee's back, MJF grabs a piece of his wrist tape and he starts choking Punk with it 
but then uses his arm to conceal the tape. And Punk is trying to get Bryce's attention that he's being choked, but all the referee can see is the forearm that is covering the tape. And Punk goes down, and he is that this crowd is like seeing him go down, and then all of a sudden the bell rings, and this place loses their minds. That they are just shocked that Punk has lost, and <laughs> they leave just enough time for MJF to celebrate before Bryce finds the tape and informs Justin Roberts that the match will continue. <laughs> so let me just say. <laughs> I I I thought this was the greatest thing. Okay. Um we should also mention that uh many people were pointing out that this was a reference to a spot in a Jimmy Ray versus CM Punk match uh, during their ROH feud. So this was uh something that he had done before a reference to that. Uh you know, this was a very good dusty finish, but I was kind of disappointed when they restarted this match cuz like I thought it would have been such an incredibly ballsy and perfectly trollish MJF thing to do to end one of the most hyped matches to take place on national TV in the man's hometown and ending it with the most unexpected finish ever, an arm drop after a generic sleeper hold. I mean, this was not a generic sleeper hold. You you did have a tape, but like to me, like that is, that might be the most unexpected finish in wrestling. You know, the, the raising your arm three times and having it end that way. And then on top of that, having 27 minutes left in this show, like, you know, talk about like, you know, pull, taking away people's expectations. You know, the timing of the show kind of led, led you to believe that this would go 30 minutes. So I I thought it would have been incredibly ballsy to end it def- like completely short of that time. Um, but, you know, this was an, ultimately just a dusty finish. So the match gets restarted and then Punk fires up. And dude, the heat here is unbelievable. He drops 20 punches on MJF in the corner. He then just goes full Bret Hart here. Manhattan drop, the bounce off the middle rope into the clothesline, and then he goes for the sharpshooter. And he can't apply it because his left arm is still giving him problems, and he gets kicked to the floor. And Punk selling was terrific here. Throughout the break, he's just getting beaten down. The heat seeker is stopped, but then Punk manages a springboard clothesline and follows with a tope suicida, and in the process, injures his knee. So now his shoulder is screwed up, and his knee is destroyed. And MJF applies, he goes for like a tequila sunrise, but instead of the usual application, like a, like a single leg crab, he crosses the legs like a sharpshooter, so he's attacking both the shoulder and the knee with this one submission. I was loving this match at this point. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. A lot of thought was put into every single move, clearly. Really clever stuff. Uh, Punk counters out of it. There's a bridge. Punk earlier got MJF on his shoulders, just getting him on his shoulders. The crowd went insane. So he tries for another GTS, but the knee gives out. And MJF uh, ends up ducking. It comes off the rope, and Punk ducks and hits a poison rana on MJF. And, dude, Punk, they showed the overhead replay. Punk's landing just sucked. <laughs> it just looked terrible. Yeah. He just came right down on his head. For he hasn't done too many poison ranas in his career. Not too many. And MJF, he's holding his neck in pain. So he goes after the knee. He hits the Made in Japan, uh, which someone on Twitter, and uh, forgive me, I didn't get their username, uh, appropriately named Mid in Japan. Mid in Japan. Okay. Wouldn't it be Mid in Long Island? 
Well, he was going more so for the the MID. So uh, I know. I, I think you got you got to keep Japan in there, or else I mean, mid oh, Long okay, Island, you're just kind of losing people at that point. No, so, it's, it's way better. What what you uh, suggested? They run into the corner, and behind the ref's back, there's a low blow by MJF. He puts his feet on the rope. Ref catches him. They go through a third break. Uh, and during the break, I don't know if you caught this, but MJF goes for the sharpshooter on the post, but he can't get it with both legs, so he just settles for for one. And then we come back for the final stretch. They're battling on the turnbuckle, and Punk puts the underhooks on and delivers the Pepsi plunge. Yeah. You have never seen a 35 to 49-year-old male crowd on Twitter lose their minds more than this Pepsi plunge. Oh, he did the thing. He did his old move. Jim Ross called it the Pepsi plunge. I haven't seen that in over mm-hmm. a decade. Uh, this place, it, they went insane for this. I, I loved it. It was not simply a move done for fan service. Okay. They, they, they came up with a great way of logically working themselves into that position and CM Punk, despite having his knee completely fucked up, saw that it was in perfect position to hit a devastating move from his old repertoire and he did it. He's, uh, it was a perfect time to sacrifice your injured knee for an old spot. Uh, there's a pair of tombstone reversals. Uh, he nails MJF with the roundhouse kick. And after several teases, hits a top rope elbow for this incredible near fall. MJF rolls to the floor. And we're deep into the match. And Wardlow comes out. And everyone wants to see what he's going to do. MJF is dead on the ground. Wardlow steps over MJF and gets right into Punk's face. And they're having a stare down. And Wardlow just stands to the side, pretty much giving MJF over to Punk. At least that's what you're left to believe. And they go into the ring, but Punk is still focusing on Wardlow, not fully believing that he is not up to something. And that allows MJF to grab the the dynamite ring out of his trunks and clocks Punk behind the referee's back, and MJF pins CM Punk. Uh, they went 38 minutes and 9 seconds. So MJF is your winner, and he sits cross-legged in the ring and passes the ring back to Wardlow. Uh, mm-hmm. This was outstanding. We should state that you know they, they were very good with the handling of the ring and everything, like to the point where I certainly didn't notice until they played the replays. And I have to imagine a good chunk, if not most of this card, probably didn't necessarily see it themselves. So I thought they left the idea, at least, you know, before the replays, that we weren't exactly sure if it was Wardlow doing this intentionally nor or, or unintentionally. Um, they left it pretty strong. And then that's all to say, like, they, they did a good job of actually hiding, you know, give, giving us a bit of a sleight of hand in handing the, the diamond ring. Um, but... This was a great match. It really was a fantastic match. You know, in a promotion where I think you have incredible athletes that can do crazy flips and dives, these two completely relied on great psychology and great storytelling. Um, it's the type of match that I'm going to rewatch without taking notes because I got the sense that every detail and move and facial expression probably had a lot of thought behind it. And I'm positive I missed a whole lot by, by you know, being on, on Twitter and, and going through the commercials and whatnot. So... Punk selling was great. MJF's body part work was tremendous. And, you know, let's kind of step back and think about the context of this. This had to be a pretty emotionally charged match for MJF because he was out there with his idol. You know, this is a guy 
who has legitimately a photo with him, his CM Punk, like hanging up in his room that he lined up, you know, to at an autograph session again. Now he was wrestling him in front of his hometown. And of course, on top of that, you know, like having so much bullshit intention throughout the day come out about, about all of this Brian Kendrick stuff. I, I, I don't know how much it might have gotten to him, but I, I imagine it must have been a bit of a challenge to, to stay focused throughout the day with all that discourse. Um, but man, did they deliver. The atmosphere was incredible. Um, and, you know, I think a deflating finish ultimately, like you don't know. I don't, I don't know if like a match like this, you, you ever want to see end with some sort of weapon shot. But I think given the circumstance, it was probably one of the best finishes they could have come up with. Because number one, I think MJF had to win, even in Punk's hometown. You know, you're either on your way to building MJF towards a title match or you need to build enough heat for Punk to want to get revenge in a rematch. And I think both of those things ultimately require MJF winning and a heel doesn't win without shenanigans. It also reaffirms the MJF Wardlow relationship and now explicitly tells the audience that Wardlow is not a man we can trust. They did a good job of making us feel sympathy for Wardlow in the weeks leading up to this by making us feel like him winning cool squash matches with power bombs and, you know, looking disapprovingly at Sean Spears. All of that was done really well to make us side with him. But now we all realize we've been duped. Everything was just for show to lead to this one moment. And I thought they did a very good job manipulating us and I guess further cementing, you know, Wardlow as a heel now. So, you know, even though the finish might take away or diminish maybe the 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 star rating of a match like this i thought it was a good finish for the story that they're telling not as good maybe as you know uh the sleeper in the middle of the match like 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 i thought they were gonna do but still a good finish nonetheless this this finish didn't diminish it at all for me i i thought it really was i thought it was so much more impactful having mjf win this match um the match to me was i mean might have been the best performance of MJF. And that's that's a that's a lofty standard when you actually isolate a lot of his big matches that he has had, in particular over the last 18 months. Um this this was just um sensational match. Certainly I would say um you know what what had been the best punk match since his return be- before tonight? This this would be my number one. I um, thought the, the Darby, Darby match, match was really was was really good. I I certainly put this ahead of the Darby match. Well, certainly. well, actually, funny. Like I, I you know, I, I I think I'm still a bit more partial to the MJF Darby match. You know, if we're talking great MJF matches, but I mean, it just kind of tells you like both of them had really strong performances with Darby Allen, and all of those performances were really good. So if you felt like this was both men's best performances in AEW, I would not disagree at all or argue with you. I mean, what, what do you think is the, the optimal way you go here that you so right back to the rematch at, at the pay-per-view or do they take a detour? Because you, you could do MJF going for the title and this loss kind of hangs on punk. And this is something you wait to do the rematch for. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. You can go to the rematch, but I mean, I think you're faced with the same problem, even in a rematch. Cause I think MJF has to win the rematch too. You're not going to end this MJF run without him challenging for the championship. You know, you're not going to suddenly have punk beat MJF and then somehow rebuild your way up to an MJF title match. I guess you could, you could really do anything. Cause you, um, you have enough from that last match with Wardlow, you could do Punk and Wardlow again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this time it would be hotter. So maybe you do Punk and Wardlow at Revolution. Maybe you have MJF actually challenged for the championship because he's in perfect position for it. Yeah. So 
Uh, fantastic main event, and man, that crowd was amazing for that main event. I mean, that was. That I'm was so wild. happy for Chicago finally getting a good wrestling show in their city <laughs> to get excited about. This will hold them off for six weeks, so that's yeah. that's good. Um, but there you go, um, a strong episode of Dynamite. Should we get into some feedback? Let's do it. You want me to start, John? Yes. We got a Johnny Sanchez who says this episode felt off this week. The first three matches were great, but it felt more heavy on backstage segments and a lot of Lambert. I like Lambert, but you see how important who is opposite of him. Against Hangman, it provided a way for the baby face to shine. But against Brandy, it fell flat and seems like a, the, the face heel dynamic was switched. Uh, okay, now onto the main event. The build of this match felt like a big fight feel. And after last week's attack, it felt more personal. But overall, this match seemed like a match from a house show. I'm sure the fans... <laughs> That's the- a hell of a house show. <laughs> I'm sure the fans in the building must have had a fun time, but the tone felt off from the weeks of build. Also, why now is lifting of the arm a thing when nearly all the time we see the ref immediately call for the bell when a submission is locked in and the eyes are glossed over? The fake finish then restart didn't work for me since NJF did the same thing with Jericho. The last 15 minutes was the type of match I wanted. I'm not sure why this match needed 40 minutes. Overall, I was excited for the match, but I just felt a bit disappointed. I'll be live at AEW next week. I hope it's better than this week's. Wow. What what I what I find amazing though is that he said the first three matches tonight were great, but it was the main event that was such a letdown. Well, it was a different type of match. It was a slower type of match than than maybe what you might have expected for a AEW main event. Because we're so used to like, you know, Young Buck style, you know, bang, bang, bang. But like Clearly, these two are going to go long. They have to go 40 minutes. So, of course, the pace this is going to slow I, I, would, I would have a lot of ways to describe this match, but, like, slow would not be... Slow, okay, so so slow might not be the right word, but it was not a Lucha Brothers versus Young Bucks style of match. It was much more psycho- psychology-based. It was much more body part-based, you know? Um, and maybe I'm just, I'm just speculating about what, what, what Johnny might've felt was, was off about it because I'm, I'm, I'm with you and I'm probably most people in saying that this, this was an absolutely satisfying four minutes. All right, let's uh, continue with Noah. He says, uh, that main event was just perfect. I legitimately got out of my seat when punk passed out. They completely got me on that one. And then was even more shocked when punk didn't kick out at the end. So annoyed that Wardlow didn't do the right thing for once. Think we get the rematch at revolution. We'll see. That's that's it's an option. I I don't know how I feel about going back to it so quick versus the idea that this loss just looms over Punk that he'll have to avenge but do it. It's just if you come back with this in in six weeks, not not even six weeks, more like mm. four weeks in the pay per view. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if you want to beat Punk again, nor do I think you want to just you know give his win back so so quickly. Like let this this match be of great significance for Punk's character moving forward. Yep, and and the more I think about it, the more I think he should face Wardlow because ultimately the the potentially the biggest winner coming out of this could be Wardlow, putting the focus entirely on him, you know, making it feel like and and let's remember the last time Wardlow fought uh CM Punk, I mean Wardlow had him beat for most of the match. Like so, 95% of it, yeah. So they can continue telling that story by really pushing Wardlow, not just as maybe a favorite, but also as somebody who CM Punk has a personal grudge against now. So Wardlow stands to gain the most from a pay-per-view match with CM Punk, and hopefully he can cut some promos and build a bit more character as well. So I think I like that idea a whole lot more than even an MJF Punk rematch that soon. 
We got a Brian from New Jersey who says, I thought this was a terrific main event while still leaving the option open for a pay-per-view rematch a month from now. I was thinking it would be a lot more screwy, especially given how early it started, so it exceeded my expectations in that regard. Jim Ross was a little, was a little too heavy with the whose side is he on shtick with Wardlow. I can only imagine the conversation Punk and MJ have had in confidence as they laid their match in the pinning position. Uh, yeah, yeah, like towards towards the end of the match after the pinfall, it felt like, you know, like MJF like was, was like they're, they're having a full-on conversation in the middle of the ring. What felt like a very emotional, like, you know, big moment for MJF in his career. Maybe for Punk in his career as well. So that was interesting. Um, he also says, pleasantly surprised by AEW not on- only pulling Brian Kendrick from the show when they did, but given his giving his spot to the underrated Wheeler Yuta, the Moxley Danielson angle took me by surprise, and I genuinely genuinely want to see that scenario from Danielson really happen. All right, Andrew from Cape Breton. As a fan of Brian Kendrick, the past twenty four hours have been a roller coaster. I was busy last night, so by the time I got on Twitter, I saw the match announcement with Moxley and Kendrick and thought it was fake. In regards to the stuff he said in the past, I know about some of the goofy stuff. Okay. Uh, I didn't know about the really horrible stuff, and I'm glad Tony made the call to take him off the show. Kendrick in the past has addressed briefly some of the stuff he said on a Lillian Garcia podcast, but didn't outright apologize. Just said he had to get rid of stuff from the past. I did think Wheeler Yuta was a great replacement, though, mostly due to the post-match angle with Brian. I liked AEW finally beating a top guy in their hometown, and this should get actual heat instead of the groans WWE gets for beating a guy in their hometown. Okay, we get Kate from Montreal who says... All of the in-ring tonight seemed good to me. Peaking, of course, with the main event. After the false finish, I was left unsure as to what was going to happen, which made it more exciting. I love the tease of Danielson and Mox's stable, or just at Brian Danielson's stable, and I'm very curious to see where it goes. However, all of the other spoken segments ranged from flat to dire. If AEW wants to attract more female viewers, they need to drastically reduce the Lambert quotient on their shows. Okay, we go next to Muggin, who writes, uh, Good of AEW to give Wheeler Yuta a prime spot against John Moxley, the post-match angle with Danielson, forming a group with young talent like Moriarty and Garcia sounds intriguing. The Brandy Lambert segment died an ugly death. Death Triangle versus Kings of the Black Throne was a good start to get Black and King off and running. I looked at the time, it was 9.15, and my gut told me that Punk and MJF are going to go long with the main event, and they made every minute count. The first false finish was smart, and I was wide-eyed when Punk hit the Pepsi plunge. The finish begs for another match between these two, and Wardlow is once again the center of attention because of his assist. Finally, we got an MJ from NJ who says, On Kendrick, for me the news is that this company did something, or wasn't afraid to do something that others would likely not do to close a show. And one Too company close to a show that close to a show, yes. And one company didn't do over the course of several years. You hate to see any attention given to to such nonsense, but to the degree it has to be covered, the accountability is everything. Personally, who am I to say whether the accountability should extend beyond and prevent somebody from working in wrestling? Fair to say, this was the biggest opportunity left in his career, and he lost. And will it will be hard for him to gain fans back, as many will not easily dismiss him anyway. We are in a world where these old comments now resurface more commonly, not just in wrestling, and who knows what people really think or say in private anyway. Spread love and positivity, not hate and ignorance, right? Anyway, Brandy was doing her very best stuff tonight, and it was so cringe. I actually think that is the point. I am leaning more and more towards the roads being healed by channeling their inner Hunter and Steph and overbooking themselves as stars of a show when the fans don't want them to be. Yes. 
And yeah, there was a link that Andrew uh, from Cape Breton included here where I guess Brian Kendrick at least made some reference to this when he was on Lillian Garcia's podcast we, back we, in t- 2017. Have, have you listened to it? No, I have not heard it. Yeah, we haven't listened to it. I haven't listened to it, so I, I can't really speak on it. Right. All right, everyone, that's going to wrap up the show, but we are back on Thursday. We will be live at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. You can watch us live on any of those platforms. We will go through all of the latest news, uh, follow up from Dynamite, and uh, looking ahead because Thursday night is the WWE's uh, earnings call, so we will be uh, covering that on the site, and then Friday Brandon Thurston will join us. Uh, will be joining me on the uh, on the new show at one Eastern, and we will go through all of the key items uh, from the earnings call. So mm-hmm. that is it for us. And wait, anything else to mention before we wrap up? No, that's it. Um, just uh, if you're gonna have a lot of snow, then dress warm and you know stay safe on the roads. There you go. Uh, that is it for us. Stay safe.